have reached our cruising altitude, it's time for the flyover. Welcome back to Flyover View, a member of the Heartland Pod family of podcasts, and a look at Heartland news from 30,000 feet. From the Gateway Arch to the Rocky Mountains, I'm your host, Kevin Smith, joined by my co-host, Sean Diller. Sean, you ready to start this show? Let's get into it. All right, let's start the show. Fascists heart Holly. Kremlin propagandists have high hopes for Trump's triumphant return, which they're promising to support, along with what they describe as the new wave of Republicans. Russian state television singled out their favorite of the bunch, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley, who recently demanded that President Joe Biden suspend U.S. support for Ukraine's potential NATO membership. Hawley also called on the U.S. to stop carrying the heavy burden it once did in other regions of the world, including Europe. It was such music to Russian propagandists' ears that across Kremlin-controlled state media, Hawley's position was extolled and anyone who criticized him was smeared. Speaking up for democracy, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said, If you're digesting Russian misinformation and parroting Russian talking points, you are not aligned with longstanding bipartisan American values. That applies to Senator Hawley, but it also applies to others who may be parroting the talking points of Russian propagandist leaders. Appearing on a state TV show, The Big Game, on Thursday, Putin loyalist Dmitry Simes was so incensed he compared the White House press secretary's comments about Hawley to the bloody purges under Joseph Stalin, pairing Saki to the notorious Lavrente Beria, a brutal leader of a secret police who was born in 1899. The same day, Olga Skabiva, the host of the Russian state-owned version of 60 Minutes, also criticized Saki specifically for coming after Holly and agreed with panelists on the show who argued that the Democrats are on their way out. She urged Ukrainians not to rely on President Biden and instead to work on establishing better relations with Trump. Skabiva concluded, Trump said he will become the next president of the United States. We have already started working on that. Having elected him the first time, I think we can manage to do it again. Boy, they just don't really uh, hide it at all. No, yeah. I don't even know where to start. We're on the pro-democracy side here at the Heartland (laughs) Pod, I guess. Fascists go home. Ukraine's a sovereign country with a democratically elected president and a strongman dictator in a huge neighboring country is threatening to invade. So we can be on the side of Ukraine joining NATO without committing American troops or doing anything that's inconsistent with American values. So Holly is just siding with Russia when he doesn't even need to. A powerful bipartisan showing by the women of the Missouri This week, the Missouri legislature has been mired by a small group of hardline conservatives in the Senate who have staged a filibuster to prevent a bipartisan redistricting map from moving forward. While real work has been languishing, a bipartisan showing by the 11 women senators took control of the debate stage and went after the conservative caucus for hijacking proceedings in the Missouri Senate over the state's redistricting plan. This group denounced what they called the purely political way the debate has played out so far. Senator Elaine Gannon, a Republican from DeSoto, took the Senate floor Wednesday afternoon and declared it was time for the 11 women of the Senate to step up to the plate and say what they want to say. A succession of both Democratic and Republican women senators decried the intra-party fighting among the GOP and how members of the conservative caucus have cast fellow Republicans who don't support a seven Republican, one Democrat map as, quote, aiding Democrats. 
Senator Sandy Crawford, a Republican from Buffalo, said versions of this 7-1 map have not been the focus of their behind-the-scenes negotiations that she's been a party to, and rather the focus has been on creating a strong 6-2 map that would not only shore up U.S. Representative Ann Wagner's 2nd Congressional District, but also keep Kansas City from being unfairly split into Republican districts. Senator Holly Thompson Ryder, a Republican from Sykeston, rebuked the way that members of the conservative caucus have assassinated the characters of fellow Republicans by casting those who don't support the 7-1 map as passing a quote-unquote Nancy Pelosi map. She also echoed concerns that a 7-1 map may eventually cede an additional seat to Democrats in later years. Senator Lauren Arthur, a Democrat from Kansas City, said that we need to finally put this to bed and move on to other things that were going to have more direct impact on the people that we represent. Their sentiments have also been echoed by Governor Mike Parson's spokeswoman, Kelly Jones, who wrote on Twitter, Once again, it's the Missouri Senate's women who restore common sense. It's about time we stop tiptoeing around a few men's fragile egos. And I have to say I agree. It is really just bad governing. It's probably racist to try to to try to break apart the Kansas City area into three Republican districts instead of one district that is represented by a leader in the Congressional Black Caucus, Emmanuel Cleaver, who knows Kansas City, who has represented the people of Kansas City his entire life. So the 7-1 map thing, it makes sense that these women who are Republicans, it makes sense that a lot of Republicans are against it because it's probably unconstitutional. It probably makes them vulnerable in the future. And it's politics at its worst. And one of the worst things about this whole thing is that it's holding up proper business in the Senate. Right now, we're looking at trying to allocate $1.5 billion in federal aid to our schools, with Missouri being the last state to have not allocated this relief aid. And we're honestly in danger of having that sent back to the federal government because we didn't allocate it in time. Right. Real people being affected by a handful of politicians' desire to send more Republicans to Congress. A major breakthrough on nuclear fusion energy. A UK-based joint European Tauros, or JET, laboratory has smashed its own world record for the amount of energy it can extract by squeezing together two forms of hydrogen. If nuclear fusion can be successfully recreated on Earth, it holds out the potential of a virtually unlimited supply of low-carbon, low-radiation energy. The experiments produced 59 megajoules of energy over 5 seconds, which is 11 megawatts of power. This is more than double what was achieved in similar tests back in 1997. The significance is that it validates design choices that have been made for an even bigger fusion reactor now being constructed in France. Dr. Joe Milnes, head of operations at the reactor lab, states, The jet experiments put us a step closer to fusion power. We've demonstrated that we can create a mini star inside our machines and hold it there for five seconds to get high performance, which really takes us into a new realm. The jet site at Culham in Oxfordshire has pioneered this fusion approach for nearly 40 years, and for the past 10 years it has been configured to replicate the ITER facility in southern France as supported by a consortium of world governments, including the EU member states, the United States, China, and Russia. It is expected to be the last step in proving that nuclear fusion can become a reliable energy provider in the second half of this century. Texas's voting debacle. Officials in Texas are rejecting thousands of mail-in ballot applications ahead of the first 2022 midterm primary, March 1st, raising serious alarm that a new Republican law is going to disenfranchise droves of eligible voters. 
Last August, Texas Republicans passed a sweeping new voting law that imposes new identification requirements, new rules for mail-in ballots, and outlaws curbside drop boxes. County election officials are already seeing significant consequences for mail-in voting. So far, they've rejected 2,202 of the 32,000 applications for mail-in ballots submitted, a 6.7% rejection rate, according to the Texas Secretary of State. Even before the new rules, Texas had strict limits on who is allowed to vote by mail, allowing only those who are age 65 and older, disabled, or out of town for the entire election period to vote by mail. Charlie Bonner, a spokesperson for Move Texas, a group that works on voter mobilization in Texas, said, It's already a cluster f A huge number of the rejections are due to the new provision requiring voters to provide either their Texas driver's license number or the last four digits of their social security number, or both, on their application to vote by mail. The number a voter submits has to match the number they used the day they originally registered, or the voter's application for an absentee or mail-in ballot will be automatically rejected. The rejection numbers in some of the state's largest counties are extremely high. In Travis County, home of Austin, about 30% of absentee ballot applications were rejected because of problems with the ID requirements. In Dallas and Tarrant counties, election officials have rejected 12% and 16% of mail-in applications already because of ID issues. The motivation for these rules is to make it harder to vote in Texas, and it impacts poor people, it impacts voters of color, disabled voters, and older voters the most. One of the people denied a ballot was Kenneth Thompson, a 95-year-old World War II veteran who registered to vote before the state required voters to provide a driver's license or social security number when they registered. Mr. Thompson says he has never missed a vote, but this year his request for a mail-in ballot was denied, twice. His daughter re-registered him to vote to ensure he could cast a ballot in the primary. Charlie Bonner of Move Texas said, when you legislate based on conspiracy theories and not in reality, real people get hurt. Hey there, folks. I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to remind you that we are a 100% listener-supported family of podcasts, all under the umbrella of the Heartland Pod. You can catch our flagship show, The Heartland Pod, on Mondays every week with Adam Summer, where he delivers an opening statement before being joined by Sean Diller and Rachel Parker for the Talking Politics session on the week that was and diving into elections, legislation, and public policy. You can also join Adam on most Tuesday and Thursdays for Let's Have a Chat, featuring interviews with folks of interest from around the Midwest. On any given week, he could be chatting up a politician, a farmer, a scientist, you name it. On Wednesdays, the focus shifts to a rotating cast of special reports with The Delta from science teacher and author Nicholas Linky and High Country, Sean Diller's Western political updates. Learn more at heartlandpod.com, and don't forget for full access to the Last Call episodes and the Heartland News blog. Sign up on Patreon as a podhead today. And now, the lightning round. Lightning round. Keep cameras out. A bill that would have required Iowa schools to put video cameras in every classroom died Wednesday after House lawmakers abruptly canceled a subcommittee hearing on the measure due to a member illness and, frankly, lack of enthusiasm for the bill. The subcommittee chair, Representative Ray Sorensen, a Republican of Greenfield, states, I was never in support of it. I think it needs a lot better fencing if we're going to do something like that, and a lot better explanation and a lot more time, honestly, to hear from the public on what something like that would even look like. The bill would have required public schools to install cameras in every classroom, excluding those for special and physical education classes, and allow all parents or guardians to be able to access that live stream of their child's classroom. 
School district employees who intentionally obstructed or disconnected the cameras would have been guilty of noncompliance and would have faced a written reprimand on the first offense, a fine of 1% of their weekly salary on the second offense, and a fine of 5% of their weekly salary for every subsequent offense. Just another way to stick it to the teachers. Take your guns to town, Bill. Concealed carry expansion nearest final vote in Ohio. The Ohio State House of Representatives is teeing up a final passage vote on legislation to remove training and background check requirements to carry a concealed firearm in Ohio. Meanwhile, lawmakers inched forward on a bill to relax penalties for people carrying concealed weapons in prohibited places and another restricting how local police can limit firearm sales. On Tuesday, the House Government Oversight Committee reviewed Senate Bill 215, which would allow anyone 21 and up to carry without a permit so long as they lawfully possess the gun in question. Kansas Legislature Overrides Governor Kelly In Topeka this week, the Kansas House ratified the action of their brethren in the Kansas Senate to complete an override of Governor Laura Kelly's veto of the congressional redistricting map designed by the Republican legislators to undercut the viability of Democratic candidates. The GOP-controlled House cobbled together an 85-37 to 37 vote margin for the two-thirds majority necessary to thwart the governor's veto of the GOP map known as Ad Astra 2. Senate leadership produced a 27-11 to 11 vote margin to deflect Kelly's objections to a map splitting the 3rd District, currently held by Democratic United States Representative Sharice Davids. It would move Wyandotte County Democrats into the 2nd District and transfer the moderate stronghold of Lawrence from the 2nd District to the 1st District. The fundamental idea is to weaken Davids sufficiently for a GOP nominee to prevail, but not alter the balance of power in neighboring districts. Representative Tom Burroughs, Democrat of Kansas City, Kansas, said the GOP map placing Wyandotte County into the 2nd District, held by hard-right Republican Jake LaTurner, would shatter a majority-minority community. By one count, the move would deposit half the Hispanic population and one-third of black residents in Wyandotte County into the agrarian 1st District, stretching beyond the capital in Topeka, the Flint Hills of central Kansas, to the feedlots of Garden City about 380 miles away. When you divide communities of color, you take away a voice, Representative Burroughs said. The subliminal message is your voices don't matter. Your very existence and contribution to the community and to the state process don't matter. Burroughs also said it was his hope the judicial branch eventually finds the state's congressional map unconstitutional. Sounds about right to me. Well, folks, that's all the time we have. I want to thank you for joining us. If you feel like you have a story that we should look into and possibly highlight on the show, please feel free to tweet me directly at KevinMidmo or at The Heartland Pod. This week's episode featured reporting and information from The Daily Beast, Missouri Independent, BBC, Ohio Capital Journal, Des Moines Register, WDRB Louisville, and The Kansas Reflector. The Flyover View is a production of MidMap Media, LLC. Learn more at www.heartlandpod.com or at the Heartland Pod on Twitter. See you all next week.